While United States citizens await official approval of ETFs by the Securities and Exchange Commission and rulings on the future of cryptos from other government agencies, some states are taking matters into their own hands. The great state of Wyoming is leading the way by passing pro-blockchain legislation that the governor is signing. Today, we welcome Caitlin Long to the show. She's been leading the charge to make Wyoming a haven for blockchain companies, and she's having an impact. The social media world is also ripe for disruption, and we recently caught up with Bill Ottman, the CEO of Minds.com. Their social platform rewards users in crypto for posting and engaging. Travis and I are currently in Paris for Paris Blockchain Week Summit, so let's whine and cheese it up for an ooh-la-la. Episode number 260 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. And welcome to the Bad Crypto Podcast, the show for the crypto curious and the crypto serious. Did you bring your wine and cheese, Mr. Travis Wright? Oh, no, I did not bring no wine and cheese. I heard you whining before. Ah. And the show's going to be cheesy. So That's perfect. We have plenty of wine and cheese, <laughs> Mr. Joe Combs. We are here in Paris uh, looking out on the city at night. And by the time this episode goes out, we will have uh, done our show, I believe, and been through uh, two days of emceeing. Paris Blockchain Week Summit. Two MCs and one DJ. Because a little, little Beastie Boys reference. Wicked, 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 wicked. We be getting down with no delay. Uh, that should be fun. Uh, we're looking forward to that. A lot of a lot of great people are going to be at that event that have reached out to us already to say hey to meet up and say hello. And so we're excited about that. Uh, but we're excited about this episode right here. This episode here has two great interviews. And I wouldn't say that lightly, but I would say these are both both very spectacular. We met with Bill. Say it heavily. When we when we were Bill, we met Bill at the ETH Denver. Yes. Had a conversation with him. And then like the next day he went on Joe Rogan or right. something or like a couple of days later or something. So we got him before yeah. he was all fancy. Now he's kind of Joe a big Rogan. deal. Yeah. Well, he was a big deal before and we were, had the opportunity to speak with him. And then we also met with Caitlin Long there at East Denver, and then we got her on, on an interview as well, talking about all the great stuff that's happening in Wyoming and legislature around blockchain and stuff that's going on with the government. And those of you who are in the crypto space are going to find that interview very interesting as well. Yeah, but before and those, that, those of you who aren't in the crypto space aren't listening. Those of you who aren't in the crypto space have no, yeah, you're not listening to this thing at all. But we do have a sponsor. Yeah, we do. Uh, Digitex Futures. They're the non-custodial commission-free futures trading exchange, and they began onboarding traders to the beta version of their platform. This is revolutionary, gang. This trading platform is designed to eliminate all transaction fees, all withdrawal fees, all deposit fees, and it'll take care of your fee fees, too. It will? That's so fancy. I don't know if it's – well, you know, your feelings are your business, but this is a game changer for futures. There's no other platform that allows traders to trade with zero fees. So when the beta version is done, they're going to roll this out to the public in the second quarter of this year, and they've got some seriously – ambitious plans. This includes full incorporation of plasma technology into the exchange that's going to offer decentralized account balances, offering of additional futures markets, spot trading, 
and a mobile app because you got to have mobile app. And this is big time stuff, gang. If you're interested in this project, you can learn how to get your own DGTX token, which is their native token at digitexfutures.com forward slash buy hyphen DGTX. Check it out. There's like 1.2 million people that are on the waiting list to try this exchange. Terms of collisions do apply. Not applicable in all states. Void where prohibited. Uh, is there like one guy who does that and, you know, every time that's said, he gets a royalty? I'm not sure. It's sort of like the the other guy who does, in a world, blah, 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 the, the, the movie trailer guy. Yeah, yeah. You know, every time I get on the tram at Denver International Airport, you know, there's always the, a train is arriving. And, of course, they got rid of the thing that it used to say if, like, the doors were closing mm-hmm. um, and somebody got you know stepped into the train as the doors were closing a voice would say uh you are delaying the departure of this train it was this shaming Mm -hmm. statement they finally got rid of it and but i thought it was hilarious because it would make everybody laugh and look at the person who was making the doors open again right that's good please stand aside the doors are closing you are delaying the departure of this train yeah well if you if you ever go to to london or in the uk you know they have the thing where it says mind the gap mind the gap mind the gap and uh speaking of mines bill ottman of mines.com here we go And we're here at ETH Denver, sitting across the table from one of the great mines currently in Denver while it's blizzarding outside. The one and only Bill Ottman, the co-founder and CEO of Minds.com, an open source and decentralized platform for internet freedom. Bill, welcome to Bad Crypto. What's up, everyone? Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's kind of cool. You know, we don't get to do this all the time. Most of the time we do our interviews, they're remote and there's just something about being face to face and eye to eye. Like I just ran into Andreas Antonopoulos downstairs and we just interviewed him. The episode will have been out by then. But like face to face, there's just a different element. That's true. Minds to minds. Oh, face to face and all that. OK, so you've been minds is not a new service. I mean, you've been at this for a while. Why don't you give us a little bit of the history? Sure. So, yeah, we first started in 2011. We've been through multiple incarnations. We were driving a lot of traffic from Facebook, the the evil empire, because, uh, you know, it is what it is. You you use it for, for what it's worth. And then the algorithms started getting so ridiculous. And we were our, all, look, we always knew that there's inevitably going to emerge an open source alternative to the major social networks. None of the major social networks are open source. Certainly not decentralized, not, you know, integrated with crypto. They're sort of starting to talk about doing that. They're the very definition of centralization. They are. And so, you know, open source, Bitcoin, Ethereum, open source, decentralized currencies and other things, Wikipedia, open source encyclopedia, why wouldn't this happen with social media? It, it's If everyone on the planet is communicating on there, wouldn't you think the community would want access to the source code to see what the algorithms are doing, to understand what's happening with surveillance? So yeah, there's uh, we're going at it. There's a handful of, of really interesting open source social projects you know, going at this. And hopefully, I, I consider anyone who's open source, working towards decentralization to sort of be on the same team. Mm-hmm. 
Brothers in arms. Yes. That's what I've been saying. Uh, on the same steam. <laughs> right. Yeah. There that. you go. Yeah. They're, they're... <laughs> nice. So take us to your your latest incarnation, right? So you've you've gone you've been around since 2011. You've you know you used Facebook a lot back in the day to actually drive traffic, and then they I assume they shut off your organic reach to yep. pretty much nothing. Exactly. Just right? like they did to everyone else on the mm-hmm. platform. Bastards. Um. And now they're actually blocking our links in Messenger. Uh, they, mm. they call us unsecure. A little alert comes up. Mm. Pretty sure Facebook just compromised like 50 million users recently. Cambridge Analytica, mm. you know, they're, they are the definition of, uh, you know, exploitation of, of your data. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've never been hacked. We're totally open source. We don't even ask or force anyone to give us any personal information if they don't want to. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's interesting. And, you know, so now we're in this process of trying to extract, certainly not posting on Facebook anymore. And as a company, we're actually trying to only use open source tools for our ops. So like we just moved off GitHub to GitLab, gitlab.com slash minds. We're doing all our project management in the open. We're trying to be as transparent as possible. That's really handy, yeah. especially in this age of decentralization and crypto. We all we all crave that that transparency, and you're actually delivering on that. So now, then, so the new new iteration, you're doing some blockchain stuff, right? And you're tied it into the crypto. So maybe maybe let us know how's that working. So before, when we launched the mobile apps in 2015, we had like an internal digital currency. We would basically reward users with points for different activity and contributions. And then they could use the points to boost their posts. One point would give you an extra view. So, you know, you earn a thousand points, you get a thousand views on whatever you want to boost. That became one of the most popular features by far. And then we were like, well, wait a second. This is, you know, centralized. It would be way cooler if it was like, totally transparent system. Users could hold their tokens on their own uh, devices, send them peer-to-peer to to each other, tip each other, subscribe monthly to each other, recurring. And so, yeah, we we launched an ERC-20 token. We tried to do it as, or with as much integrity as possible. Like we didn't keep any tokens for founders or anything. We reward them daily to users. People can also buy them. Our whole revenue model is basically token fueled. So you can earn the tokens or buy them, but then you that's how you advertise. You have to use the tokens to advertise or upgrade, or you can like launch your own social network with our code. And then so and that's like launching a node. And we're looking into potentially bringing in some sort of like witnessing or staking with the nodes, but we're not, we're not quite there yet, but we do have a couple of people running social networks with our stack. I'm looking at the site here on my iPad and it kind of, it feels like a combination of Facebook and Pinterest to me. Is that kind of the, what the design was going for? I mean, the, that's yeah. The homepage has, has some featured posts on there. Yeah. There, I, I would say there are elements, elements of both. And Twitter. I mean, so you've got your thumbs up, your thumbs down, you've got uh, the comment for chatting, you've got the retweet um, or remind. remind. Is that what it is? Yeah. First. And then what's the lightning bolt? That is the wire function. So you can tip other users by, with tokens through the wire, or you can subscribe to them monthly, sort of in a crowdfunding mechanism. And that gains you gains you access to different tiers of rewards that they set. And that's like a monthly subscription. That's interesting because that's been one thing that I think it was one thing that uh, I chatted with offline with Andreas Antonopoulos when we had a conversation with him. We were talking about some different projects and 
He goes, because uh, he's really big on Patreon, mm-hmm. right? Right. And then whenever that Sargon, uh, that Picard. dude. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, he's on mine. <laughs> whenever he got booted from Patreon and then yes. a couple other people. Sam did. Harris then boycotted Patreon. And, yeah. you know, Patreon, their overlords are Stripe. So, you know, they're getting tapped on the shoulder every time there's a controversial figure on their platform and they, they are not in control of their own destiny. So, you know, we actually used to have a Stripe integration so users could send each other USD and it's like, you know, it's proprietary. So we needed to rip it out. But mm-hmm. the functionality is nice. But the problem is it's so subject to censorship. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we're looking at integrating more tokens with our peer-to-peer system so it's not just all about our token and we're looking at ways to bring fiat in but it's very complicated with payment processing Mm -hmm. we need to bring fiat in in order to get rid of fiat that's the irony of the whole situation my my question around the patreon thing was crypto hasn't found a way to do recurring payments yet Mm -hmm. right because every time i want to send somebody a payment i got to go to my wallet got to send it and so there's been no time release sort of ability to to do that. So how how is Mines do, able to do the recurring payments? Is that with with a traditional processor or is that with crypto? No, it's with crypto. Yeah. It's with it's it's with our token. It, it's it's monthly recurring. In terms of the I should have brought Mark actually on here, our CTO. He would be able to explain the mm-hmm. the specs of exactly how that's being achieved. But well, yeah, we're bad. It, so it's okay. So you can Yeah, we're I'm I'm bad. Um but yeah, we 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 have users doing recurring monthly payments to to each other with crypto. I downloaded the iPhone app. I'm assuming there's also an Android version. There there is, but you have to get that at minds.com/mobile because okay. uh we Google is uh is being troublesome. Which, which is really interesting because it's usually um Apple that's more difficult to Apple's deal with. Apple's also super difficult. They won't even let us have any of the crypto stuff in it. We had to take uh the, no wallet. There's no wallet in the iPhone app. You have to get it on Android or on the web. Wow. They are ridiculous. When do you think, let's just talk about the social media sphere in general. Um, Nothing is forever, Mm -hmm. right? We've seen, if there's one uh, constant, it's we know that everything changes. And Facebook is king right now. And, you know, you've got uh, Instagram and WhatsApp and Twitter and Snapchat and LinkedIn. There is going to be somebody, maybe you guys in the decentralization space, that I think what's going to happen is somebody's going to push too far. I mean, they're already pushing people out, which is why these decentralized services are so politically one-sided, mm-hmm. because it's obvious people are going there. But how long before one of these giants pushes too far and there is a mass exodus to a different platform? I think they've already pushed too far. I don't think it's going to be them doing something devastating they've already done devastating things whether it's the surveillance or the algorithms or the demonetization or the censorship so i think it's one one of us needs to just achieve network effects now the problem is that it's harder for us because we're not dipping into everyone's contacts and data in the sketchy way that they do in order to you know because when when an app asks you for all your contacts well yeah i mean okay did your friend say that was cool for you to give your their contact information to that app? So it's like all of these ethical 
conundrums. Okay, but, f- I mean, but fight me here because okay. this is like a philosophical approach. They've gone too far. We're not going to take it. Great. But meanwhile, Facebook still has 2 billion yeah. users. So, uh, you know, I I do think that it's going to take, for example, case in point, and for our listeners, not trying to get overly political here, just stating a fact. If Trump were to leave Twitter mm-hmm. and intentionally go somewhere else, it would cause a, a, a wave. That is what will do it but that again that's major influencers switching platforms that's not like the censorship issues the uh surveillance that's already been you know there have been huge global news stories going on for months and months i mean that's already happening now so we yeah we need the influencers to start moving that that that's where the big shifts are going to start and in terms of the decentralization aspect you know we're taking sort of a a two-path approach like you know, we use central servers on minds.com, but we are also and what we're working on this weekend is uh, uh, on a protocol called DAT. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's DAT. I never heard of that. You never heard, you of, heard that? of that? I, I heard of that. I heard of DAPs. <laughs> it's uh, DAT colon slash slash. So it's a peer to peer protocol. Oh, so okay. you is if you go to DAT colon slash, you have to access it through the Beaker browser, which is a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I think Brave Browser and Chromium are going to start supporting DAT, but they haven't yet. But basically, a a decentralized social network on the blockchain is very difficult. They're slow. They don't scale particularly well. DAT and IPFS are more like torrent-style networks. Now, I think as a user, I want two options. Like, I want to be able to post something and say, okay, I actually want to be able to delete that at some point in the future, maybe. So you kind of want a central server for that because you're not deleting from a blockchain or from, you know, a torrent system. You can't. So everyone's like obsessed with decentralization, which, and it is a key thing for us to achieve, but we also have to realize that, you know, that is a totally new paradigm for data. And there, there's certain controls you lose in, in the decentralization world. So, you know, I, I think that we need to get away from, hyper centralization but it's it's not inherently evil mm-hmm. i mean what are you talking about that censorship i mean just this past week african-american dude who founded the proud boys which i don't even know their politics i'm oh, not paying yeah. attention but he got he got delisted from youtube then they kicked him on twitter then he was gone on facebook and then his reddit was gone and then uh stripe killed his payment processing and then uh, uh chase, chase chase killed his personal bank account so it's literally like like this is what fascism actually yeah, looks yeah. like. This this is what modern fascism I believe does it looks like yeah. because if they're going to take away your ability to do business and now he's at he's at the point where he's taking away the, his ability to even conduct personal business. Yeah. Like that's crazy and decentralization to me is one of the reasons why we got so excited, you know, and the blockchain and you know it's transparent and all that stuff, you know, it's immutable and non-censor and then over the last 18 months, we've seen this rise of censorship, just like unbelievable amounts. Like yeah. started at Milo and then they, they knocked him off. And then once they got Alex Jones, where they sort of coordinated yeah. and I don't care if you like Alex Jones yeah. or not, it's, it's like if they're coming for him and they're coming for those, they're coming for you. Eventually they're coming for the left too. It's not mm-hmm. just, you know, it, I well, think that, I, the number on Twitter is 21 to one. They're knocking off conservatives versus. Li- I think liberals. I saw that article, mm-hmm. but like Facebook censored Telesur, which is the Venezuelan 
media company, Abby Martin, who's a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. She's uh, she's a journalist. I don't know if you've heard of her, but yeah, she's she's been censored. So it's more like anti-establishment brands from across the spectrum with, yeah, definitely sort of a bias more against uh, the libertarian side of things. But the, the issue is, especially with Twitter, like you can search porn on Twitter mm-hmm. and they're on the app store. Yeah. That's why we got taken off the uh, Google Play because they sent us something and it wasn't she wasn't even like fully nude. But like, first of all, I don't think a nipple should be banned from social media. It's like as long as there's I was going to put mine out there. But I'm <laughs> sure. Well, same as Reddit. I mean, Reddit, Reddit I mean, yeah. most of their like most of the subreddits that I subscribe to are born. So there's inconsistency. <laughs> <laughs> I R slash going <laughs> R slash Travis porn. <laughs> but, you know, though. Under that logic, Twitter and Reddit should be off the Play Store, but they're not, mm-hmm. and they and so they're playing games with the consistency players. and their power players. Right. Yeah, so it's 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 very there's anti-competitive. Well, stuff and there, happening. there's child trafficking. I mean, there's, it's worse than that. There's there's right. like children on Periscope, which is owned by Twitter, mm-hmm. doing live videos that are highly inappropriate, and Twitter doesn't really go out of their way to shut that stuff down. It's mm-hmm. pretty disgusting, mm-hmm. and they do go out of their way to shut down. Um, Milo can't speak though. Yeah, Milo can't speak. You can't. You can't there, um, I, th- I think her name was Megan Murphy. I hope I got. Well, Laura Loomer well, just got. Yeah, uh, Megan Murphy got banned for. I th- well, Rogan confronted Jack on his podcast about this, and he didn't really give. He any, didn't really. He, he acted like he, him. he. No, he. Well, yeah, he got some. He he softballed. He, he's attempting to. Um, I'm actually going on there on Tuesday. Really? Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Um, To talk about this kind of stuff. But Tim Poole, my good friend, was on there and he was, you know, Joe had Tim on because mm-hmm. he knows all the specifics of all these issues. He, he's making, I think, an honest effort. To, I think he is, to now, figure especially, it out. Be, especially when that video with Jack, he got lambasted on on YouTube. It's his most disliked video ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the amount of dislikes he got, on think, was just in the comments. And then they, they kept deleting the comments the, yeah. the, yeah. like Sargon's comment. All these different comments were deleted. Well, it's a, it's a weird situation to be in. Like when you're sitting, like he asked Jack, like what happened in these cases? And and he literally acted like he didn't know. Mm-hmm. So what's he supposed to do? Like he knows. Say, of course he, he knows. knows. Right. But what's Joe supposed to do? Oh, you're lying to me, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe. The CEO but, of Twitter doesn't know <laughs> yeah. what happened when it, one of the biggest controversies of yeah. the year last yeah. year. Yeah. How do you not know? Rogan but what's odd is that, book. you know, and simultaneously he's trying to be trendy about Bitcoin. On his proprietary cash app that's mm-hmm. like so it's like he obviously understands these issues, but you know there's you know and look the yes, there is social and political pressure from so many people buzzing around Twitter and these companies that are that are causing this to happen, but you know there there's no excuse and in and, and Twitter or any of the major platforms have such an opportunity to just step up, transcend all this stuff, act differently. You know, but they can't see they, outside I don't of their know bubble. If they, can. They, yeah. they cannot see outside of their bubble. Silicon Valley is a different beast. It's it dude, is. Jack grew up in St. Louis. Like he's a Midwesterner dude. Yeah. Like he he should be salt of the earth kind of guy. Like, hey, you know what? I'm from the Midwest. I respect different points of view. But it's St. Louis, and so maybe not as much. It's not as Midwestern as as the Midwest as I come from, a town of four thousand people, mm-hmm. right? But um, it's just it's just you're, you're flyover country, Mr. Travis, right? <laughs> Yeah, that's true. It's just frustrating to see how 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 these sites that that I know that I personally loved. It's like mm-hmm. I built personal brand on there, and I've yep. made so many amazing connections on Twitter. It's just 
That was my favorites. I mean, I've loved Twitter. Mm-hmm. And now I've, now I got this hate of it just because of how how they seem to be the establishment now. It's like they used yeah. to be the anti-establishment as they were coming yeah. up. Now they're the establishment. And once it seems like once people get a certain level of power or control, then they start squeezing out the little man right. and, and trying to bolster their profits. But it's not helping their bottom line any, pissing everybody off. No, in fact, the Twitter numbers came back and they have less, fewer daily users than Snapchat does now. Mm-hmm. And Snapchat's, Snapchat's in the can, like what, 4 or $5 a share or something? Uh, so, Bill, this has been great. As we, as we wrap up, let's talk about Minds again and just look to the future. What's coming next? We're focused on uh, Nomad, which is the DAT project, so that we can have, you know, we, we want to be able to walk the walk. We, we, we need to not just be talking about decentralization. We need to be building it. But we've been patient with the process because, you know, you need something that's scalable. So we're not just, we're not just going to use blockchain for the sake of blockchain. Yeah. If if you go to dat colon slash slash nomad.minds.com, you can check out the progress. It's it's very much a work in progress. But then you can find me on uh, minds.com slash Ottman. We're yeah, we're just we're we're trucking along. And for, for a marketing perspective, as you launch Nomad, you could say you're entering Nomad's land. Mm, good one. Noted. No charge. <laughs> <laughs> very good. But yeah, I mean, I just I hope the the, the big companies, it, it, it's such a, a paradox because they, they've done so much good, like you're saying, and they've, they've helped us communicate and they know about open source. They know about all these really smart people who work there. You know, they, they do offer certain open source frameworks. I mean, Google does Angular and Android. And so it's like, they're not stupid. They know the control game that they're playing. Yeah. I just, I, it's inevitable that, that something is is gonna gonna come up. I think so. Thirty Eight Special had it right. Hold on loosely, but don't get look. Uh, don't let go. If you squeeze too tightly, you're gonna lose control. Mm, very nice. On that note, Bill Ottman, co-founder CEO of Minds. Thanks, Bill. We appreciate it. And Thanks. best of luck as Minds rolls forth. Mm, he's just a Bill. Let's get bad he's crypto on there. Here. <laughs> yeah. Very good. We will get bad crypto on there. For yeah. sure. Boom. All right. Cheers, guys. You know, Minds.com is just one of many social sites that we've seen that are blockchain-based, and we saw one the other day. In fact, I'm going to give them a quick shout-out just because I think it's so cool, and I was just showing you how it worked. Basically, it's a bunch of guys from different locations that are working together on this pet project called Snacks, S-N-A-X, and the website is Snacks. Dot one, they've built their own blockchain that connects to Twitter and rewards people in their native snacks token for essentially social engagement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really handy. And we took a look at it, and Joel is within the top 5,000 of most engaging people on the Twitters, according to their algorithm. I am the snacks master. You are the master of the snacks. And uh, so every 20, what is it, every 48 hours, mm-hmm. it gives you X amount of snacks. So it's it's interesting from that. It's, it's sort of gamified, but the snacks tokens don't necessarily do anything yet. Yeah. But it's an interesting reward system. If you're tweeting, if you're already on Twitter, uh, tweet us and we'll you know hit us up on bad crypto maybe we'll send you some snacks over Joel or I will maybe send you some snacks maybe we won't maybe we won't we'll keep all the snacks for ourselves you know what I'll tell you what if you email us at badcryptopodcast at gmail.com with your twitter name and put in the subject line send me snacks s-n-a-x 
and say please mm-hmm. with your Twitter username. And we'll either. give you some Otis Spunkmeyer chocolate chunk. No, that's my cookie. Oh, okay. yep, put that put that down. That's cookie. I thought you were on a diet. I actually, it's it's uh, it's, it's not my cookie. It's, not it's your Aaron's. Cookie. <laughs> it's Aaron's cookie, <laughs> okay. and we got that on the plane. I'm gonna steal um, a cookie over, and I am being good and i left mine in the seat pocket very nice i did but nice. then i had ice cream here and um that's okay. today and but you walked like eight hundred thousand miles. we did we walked like nine miles today so uh, anyway check out snacks.one email us at badcryptopodcast at gmail.com with your twitter handle and or just send us a tweet that might even be easier just at bad crypto podcast or at joel com or at tw one of us and we'll send you we'll some send snacks. you some snacks would be great and Something else that is super snack worthy is this interview with Caitlin Long, because out of all of the states in the union, uh, and there's 50 of them, not 52, Mr. Obama. Uh, remember when he did that? I think he was counting Guam and Puerto Rico. They're not states. They're not states. They're, there's 50 states in, in the union. Anyway, out of those uh, 50 states, Wyoming, which is the least populated, I believe, of all of the states in the United States. Even Rhode Island, the tiny little... Oh, yeah, Rhode Island's got more people. Wow. Very dense there. Mm -hmm. It's either Wyoming or or Montana. Are you saying people in Connecticut are dense? And people in Rhode Island are dense? Don't call I didn't them say anything about Connecticut. I know that's okay. I just wanted to include all of them. There are, I they're believe, very dense. Um, you know, we had this interview a few weeks ago, so I can't remember the specifics, but I think there were eight blockchain bills that were sponsored and signed by the governor. But Caitlin fills us in. This is really cool stuff because it gives us a harbinger of things to come as various states are taking blockchain legislation mm-hmm. to their chambers. Yeah. And there's actually some legislation going on currently in the government that they that um, they sent out a message to other states, hey, don't pass any other stuff until we get this all figured out. So there's, there's definitely some conversations going on around blockchain, around legislation of crypto. And you know what? As things become more validated and become more regulated, things are going to become more open for mass adoption. It's becoming more important in the space to people who don't even understand, you know, like when these, when different governments and different states are passing legislation about blockchain and and crypto and different country countries are doing these same things, man, mass adoption is not too far away, folks. So we're saying words, but Caitlin's got words to say too. So let's listen to what she has to say. And the excitement levels are at fever pitch here at the HQ in the Republic of Bad Cryptopia because a name that we have been speaking out has finally manifested into our presence. Actually, for the second time, we just found out, and you'll hear about that in a moment. It is the one and only Caitlin Long. She is a 22-year Wall Street veteran, and she's been active in Bitcoin and blockchain since almost the beginning, 2012. And she has been the one leading the charge to make her native state of Wyoming an oasis for blockchain companies in the U.S. And she helped enact 13 blockchain-enabling laws in the past year or so. Caitlin, welcome to Bad Crypto. Hey, guys, it's really my pleasure to be on your show. Thanks for arranging it. You were almost on the show before, and we we didn't know it because, uh, well, you just told us offline that you were at ETH Denver, and yeah. we, we said your name from the stage, and we said we, we need to get Caitlin on the show, but we didn't know you were there. I was standing on the side of the stage, and, and I think I had just finished the panel that, that we did, and then you guys came on, and then Andreas was right after you, and I was, I'd never met Andreas, so... 
I was just the starry-eyed fan who was waiting for Andreas, and I snatched a selfie with him. And uh, people were trying to snatch selfies with me, and I was trying to snatch a selfie with him. I he, I just so respect the work that he's done, and one of the early he was one of the early people whose podcasts and videos helped me understand Bitcoin back in 2013. So it, I owe him a tremendous debt of gratitude for the education that he's given. Yeah, he's he's one smart cookie. I mean, that's one one thing that's amazing about him is he goes goes up with no slides, yep. and he has his presentation all mapped out, and then he just then he just drops forty minutes of brilliance on you, and you're just like, what? And then uh, and yeah. then afterwards, he'll just answer everybody's question. Like, wow, man, you're he's pretty awesome. You know, it's I I bought the, his Internet of Money books, and I. He's not paying me for this. I highly encourage everyone to do that mm -hmm. because they're his speeches, his early speeches. And it's just great. You can read them in snippets. And uh, it, it, it's really great. His, uh, he, he's got a, a real ability to boil things down to a level that mere mortals like me can understand. And he's got the technology background for sure. His Mastering Bitcoin and Mastering Ethereum books go into great levels of depth in the technology way beyond what I can do, but, but he can also speak to regular folks in a way that, that helps them understand that that's a rare gift. Yeah, it is. And this is now the official Andreas Antonopoulos mutual admiration. <laughs> podcast. Yeah. Uh, so let, let's, let's talk about you and your background a little bit more because you've, uh, you've worked with Morgan Stanley, you've worked with Credit Suisse, you've worked with the Solomon brothers, you've been to Harvard Law School, and you've got quite a, uh, a stellar reputation and you know what's happening on Wall Street, like you understand their perspective on Bitcoin and crypto. So maybe can you encapsulate that, what the pervasive mindset is in the old money world towards this new money? Oh, the pervasive mindset is that it's still the purview of drugs, porn, and the dark net. And that is clearly the... Still? The, still. Still. Oh, that's by far the most pervasive view. I was just reading today some uh, comments from two different people at Allianz, um, which which owns PIMCO, one of the biggest investment managers in the United States. And they were both saying it's completely uninvestable for institutions. They were talking specifically about Bitcoin. And it was just the classic. And they literally said that 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 it's it's the purview of money launderers and criminals and i was just floored I, I saw that i saw that quotation in pensions and investments there was a recent article about the rise of institutional investing in this category and if you read that article it talks about how unusual it is that a couple of pension funds have dipped their toes into the water and then it had a whole bunch of fud from the establishment explaining why they don't think that these assets should ever be invested by institutions. And it, the funny thing is, it, you know, institutions definitely move in a herd. I do think that it's going to take a long time for the institutional adoption to tip, so to speak. And there are some big infrastructure issues that I think need to be solved first. Uh, I worked on one of those in Wyoming, we can talk about in a bit. But but I, the early institutions are clearly going to do much better. Of course, timing matters as well. But those who, who understand why Bitcoin has value 
are going to do better, I think. And uh, absolutely institutions who, who stay away from this asset class will just lose. And I'm not just talking about Bitcoin. I'm talking about all digital assets. I've always had the view that securities will be issued on blockchains. And that's going to be really powerful because it's going to devolve the power in financial markets back to individuals and back to the buy side institutional investors like Fidelity and Vanguard and away from the market infrastructure players like the New York Stock Exchange and the investment banks like Goldman Sachs. That's where right now the latter is where the power is in financial markets. And blockchain has the power, has the capacity to, to devolve that power back to people, regular folks, and, and make markets a lot fairer in the meantime. That's why you've seen me publicly talking and praising the active actions of big buy side firms in this area. They get it. And I think they're among the good guys in, in institutional crypto. I love it. So, so I mean, you 22 years on Wall Street, right? And then you, you've been active in Bitcoin and blockchain since around 2012. And it looks like you finally left, what was it, uh, Morgan Stanley in, in 2016. What was it? What was it that helped you break through that mindset, right? Because here you are, you're surrounded with all these people, especially probably too early on, 2012, when when crime and porn were the main drivers of crypto, right? And and pizzas, <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> you know. So how how did you actually break through from that limiting mindset where it's like, oh, crypto's bad? Like, how how did you have that breakthrough moment? Well, uh, it's through Austrian economics. I I was always an outside of the box thinker after the financial crisis. Before the financial crisis, I was in my narrow swim lane, never really asking questions about anything. And then the financial crisis happened and it was very clear to me that the mainstream explanation just didn't make sense for what really went wrong. I dug deep, found Austrian economics, and it was in the Austrian circles in 2012. So I met, for example, Vijay Boyapati, not through Bitcoin, but through Austrian circles. I think we met in 2009 mm. or 2010 mm -hmm. at a conference. Yeah. And now we've got, you know, come back and, and, and are back in touch with each other over Bitcoin. But yeah, it, it was that Austrian uh, circle. It was hard by 2012. That was late by Austrian standards. Uh, it was hard to have missed it um, but back then. Uh, but yeah, and, 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 and then a couple of things happened. I was working on big pension transactions and saw the messy plumbing of the Wall Street settlement systems and realized, A, they were inefficient, and then B, realized there were these mechanisms that were skimming value off mom and pop's money, and, and they were unfair, and they were insidious, very subtle, not easy to understand, uh, but they were there, and I realized blockchain was going to be the way to fix that. And so I dug in, this was June of 2014, when I dug in with Patrick Byrne of Overstock.com. I met him at Porkfest and that in June of 2014. And then we started working together on some of the securities issues. Of course, by then he had already had his big fight with Wall Street. And I said, look, you know, what you're talking about is very real. And he and I have been friends ever since yeah he is one smart dude uh, was just on the uh, yep. the show here again recently so let's talk about what's happening in wyoming because uh that state which incidentally is the state with the lowest population of all 50 states in fact even less than uh, puerto rico which isn't a state um but yep. it's, it is truly the wild west it's cowboy land and we like our libertarian views and we like our freedoms here so saddle up uh talk a little bit about the the bills that the governor 
whose name evades me at the moment, but I'm sure you know uh, what he signed and, and what uh, what the blockchain laws mean and and how this is going to impact other states. So you go on and, and ramble as long as you want. Uh, well, I'll start by saying there's a cultural overlap between the ethos of blockchain and the culture of Wyoming. Wyoming is very much about rugged individualism, clear property rights. Uh, so I love how Trace Mayer put it. It's, you know, good fences make good neighbors and what's mine is mine and what's yours is yours. It, it's one of all, it, it frequently ranks at the top of the United States in state taxes because it has no income tax, no corporate now, tax. Now, so, Caitlin, you um, know walls don't work. Yeah. Fences don't work. No, sorry, go on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. But, but, uh, but I, 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 in some ways, I was actually kind of thinking back on you know the fact that I grew up in Wyoming. Is that part of what made me understand blockchain so much? Because it's about devolving the power back to individuals. We can actually control our own destiny. We're not trapped by the by the system into storing our financial wealth in a system that's not honest and fair and doesn't use accurate ledgers. So I, I actually do think that growing up in Wyoming helped me spot that. And so it makes perfect sense to me that this low population state, little Wyoming, was the one that grabbed the mantle on welcoming the crypto industry with really solid enabling laws. There's not a lot about Wyoming's laws that are that's restrictive I mean, on the industry. It's the laws that passed are very enabling. A couple of examples. Um, crypto to crypto transactions are exempt from the money transmitter law. Wyoming was the first state to do that. Um, and by the way, that's a, a question that frequently comes up with Lightning Network. Do you need a money transmitter license for lightning, well, not in Wyoming. Uh, we were the first state to recognize that utility tokens are distinct from securities under state securities law. And now there, it's, it's up to seven states that have either already enacted that or are in the process of doing so. Colorado, I think the governor just has to sign the bill. It's already through the legislature. Um, and, and, and so uh, that's what we did last year. What we did this year is even more powerful, though. It, we really, truly created the Delaware of Digital Asset Law. And all of you who are have businesses in the crypto area truly need to be pushing your attorneys. Why are you not in Wyoming? Because that's the only place that has actually enacted a comprehensive and welcoming legal regime where you actually don't have to operate in a gray area anymore from a state law perspective. Um, just for some background for your listeners, securities law is still the purview of the feds. That's The states can only do so much with securities law. But the states trump the feds in property law and commercial law in the United States. And so what Wyoming did is really, truly powerful because the feds can't override it. And the commercial law it, it, that Wyoming passed is, is, I think, the most powerful piece. And this is, again, why I think a, a lot of your lawyers are going to tell you you want to be in Wyoming. Wyoming recognizes the direct ownership of digital assets under commercial law and, and provides the so-called super negotiability rules to individuals who own digital assets. There is a, a rift opening up in blockchain law between the Wyomings of the world. Uh, Missouri is now trying to copy Wyoming and bring it on. We love that. Um, and then the, the, the opposite view, which is espoused by the Uniform Law Commission, which is an organization that tries to keep all 50 states, commercial laws, especially but more more laws generally, but they want to try to keep all 50 states' laws consistent. 
And these laws are not going to be consistent because the Uniform Law Commission's approach is just, in my opinion, wrong. Um, But it's being it's being it's been proposed in four states, including California and Nevada, two big crypto states. So if your listeners are in California and Nevada, get on this. You don't want them enacting this bill because that alternative approach says that only through owning your crypto through intermediaries can you get super negotiability protections. So again, to step back, the Wyoming approach is individuals and institutions can get super negotiability protections. The Uniform Law Commission approach says only if you own your crypto through financial intermediaries can you get the super negotiability protections. That should be like fingernails on a chalkboard <laughs> to this industry, to crypto people. Uh, it's just, it, it, candidly, I'll, be, I'll, I'll say something I haven't said publicly yet. I think that's the, that, that's an establishment attack on Bitcoin because it's, it, it is forcing the de-, de facto ownership of Bitcoin into the traditional financial market structure. And that would be terrible mm. because it would say that you only get these, these good protections of law if you deposit it at an intermediary and transact with it through an intermediary. It's just the antithesis of what Bitcoin it, Bitcoin is. That's the opposite of what we say. We say, keep your private keys, hold on to them, because if you don't Absolutely. have your private keys, you don't own your crypto. It's kind of like one of those things with gold and silver. Like, oh, I got these great silver you know, uh, certificates um, that says I have some silver somewhere, right? But like, yeah. you don't have any silver, and guess what? There's 500 times as many of those printed out papers than there are actual real silver, right? So there's, I think it's maybe, is this a way, do you think, for them to manipulate the... Yes. It's it's sort of like a reserve crypto kind of a thing where it's like using it as a a fractional reserve type of thing? Yeah, well, it's forcing all of us, if we want to have the legal protections, to have to deposit it in securities intermediaries. It's nuts, if you think about it on the face of it. But, but you know, I think a lot of folks who don't understand crypto probably think, oh, well, of course, we're going to put everything in, in intermediaries um, because that's where financial assets always are. But here's the problem. The, the financial system doesn't use honest ledgers. And no, it's not always nefarious. No, I, think in no. Case, I, yeah. I refuse to. <laughs> no. Uh, it's not so. No. This is Caitlin. Where, where, where do you get that <laughs> data? That just can't be right. Oh my God. I can't have personal experience. I, I, in one of my pension transactions there, the, 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 the custodian was supposed to have certain assets ready to transfer to an insurance company on a specified day. And the day before that was supposed to happen, guess what? The custodian called and said, we don't have 15 of those assets on that list. And it was unauthorized securities lending. They'd lent them out and it wasn't, necessarily nefarious. It was due to the market structure. What happens is the securities industry pools everything in what's called omnibus accounts. And you can turn off securities lending at your direct account, but they could behind the scenes in the omnibus account still be lending your securities. And so they didn't actually have in their omnibus account 15 securities that they were obligated to deliver and which showed up on the brokerage statement for the client. So you couldn't figure this out by looking at your, at your brokerage statement. If you, if we all look at brokerage statements, it, it, you know they're going to say we have the shares in them that we think we have, but then try to go transfer those shares or, or try try to pull those shares out in paper certificate form and see what happens. 
so with Wyoming being the first to really come out, they're almost like the Malta, right, of the U.S. Like Malta is the blockchain yeah. island. Wyoming is the yep. blockchain state. And you say that some other states are already being influenced. How do you think that this Wyoming legislation will help to impact federal law? Because obviously the federal government doesn't know what to do with crypto yet. Well, there is a move in Congress, uh, and and uh, we've been contacted in Wyoming by the by def- different Congress Congress people and their staffs um, to to try to clarify digital assets uh, and under the law. And the utility token bill that Wyoming passed last year has definitely influenced proposed legislation in Congress. Now, what's the chance of it passing? Who knows? I, 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 sh- I surely hope that it does. And I wish everyone. Well. I'm curious, Caitlin, is that a, uh, are you being approached in a bipartisan manner or is it one side uh, or another yes. that is uh, coming and asking you these questions? Yeah, it's, it is bipartisan. It, it's the California Silicon Valley crowd, um, and which tends to be, I think, exclusively represented by Democrats. And it's, and it's more, the sort of more liber- liberty-focused Republicans. Those are the two that are actually teaming up. And if you look at who the co-sponsors are on the proposed utility, or sorry, Token Taxonomy Act is what it's called. It is actually sponsored and co-sponsored by an equal number of Republicans and Democrats. It's a bipartisan effort, and it, it's an interesting coalition that has been built. The only question is, can they get it through the House of Representatives, and and then probably more importantly, can they get it through the Senate? I guess I guess you know it's such a it's such an interesting space that we're in, right? Because things are moving pretty fast, and here we are in this crypto winter. And yeah. some people have said, "Oh, well, when we get these ETFs uh, set up, and we get these things done, and what's this? And we get these regulations done. I mean, then then we're going to see it start going off. Or then, oh, we got things like backed out there, and, that, and that's what's going to help it, it it sort of take off again." And and so, you know, how are these regulations, how are they going to help this, the industry, do you think, sort of become more mature and gain more trust? Because, you know, still people today think that it's criminals and crime and drugs. And we talked about that. Like, people still think that's the case in some places. And so how, how are we, we going to move past the crypto winter and go into in mainstream adoption? And how are these regulations going to help, help make that happen? Well, that, that commercial law that Wyoming passed, I think, is really important because it gives lawyers the ability to, stay, to say these laws no longer exist in a vacuum in a gray area. We now have legal certainty for how these laws actually, you know, for how, how these assets, I'm sorry, I said these laws, these assets exist in a legal gray area. And Wyoming's new law is what gives lawyers and judges, if there's ever litigation, a roadmap for how they actually are supposed to work under the law. The legal system is discrete from the technology, and you can't ignore the legal system. I know there are, there are a lot of CODIS law folks out there um, who just hate the concept that there's any law being passed whatsoever related to these assets. And I'm sympathetic to that, except for the reality is that none of us live in a place where there isn't basic constitutional law and common law or natural law, right? So you can't escape the law. So what you really want is laws that just don't get in the way and more importantly, laws that enable. And so the Wyoming laws enable the commerce to happen with these assets because now everyone knows exactly how they're going to be treated under the law and also how they're going to be taxed. In Wyoming, that is not taxed specifically, but we Wyoming has done everything 
that it can to provide real value. And that, and that commercial law is a big deal. I think before institutional investors come into this sector, that piece of the puzzle had to be, had to be put in place. They weren't going to have any investment in an asset class that didn't have legal clarity and under commercial law, which again is the purview of the states. And so now that it has legal clarity, that, that's a pretty important puzzle piece that had to fall into place. Uh, so, Caitlin, let's go ahead and uh, backtrack to, uh, to ETFs. Uh, good thing, bad thing. At best neutral, more likely actually to be negative. And this is really a counterintuitive because a lot of folks in knee-jerk thought, well, great, there'll be more demand for crypto. That's got to be good for the price. But I understand how the, sol- the settlement system of Wall Street works and why that effectively creates phantom claims to assets that don't exist. And when we start doing that with finite assets like Bitcoin, there will never be any more than 21 million Bitcoin. Those two systems don't mix. Um, and, and one of the things that is going to happen is that you will start to see these phantom claims created by the settlement system, not necessarily nefariously. There, there are There's lots of um, convenience mechanisms, someone called it on, in a Twitter conversation yesterday. There, I would call them fault tolerances that are built into Wall Street settlement system that allow the ledgers to become inaccurate. And you start to have inaccurate ledgers vis-a-vis Bitcoin. It's a recipe for, for financial institutions going out of business and for consumers to lose money. Because as you know, there are no settlement, there are no fault tolerances in the Bitcoin settlement system. So it's, it's, you're really crossing the stream, so to speak. You're really mixing two things that shouldn't mix. And, uh, and, and ultimately, why is this potentially bad for Bitcoin? It's going to suppress the price. I, I think it's not coincidental that the cash settled futures introduction in, what was it, November of 2017 was when Bitcoin peaked. Because you now have these mechanisms that the traditional financial system uses to, that ultimately suppress the price. They artificially inflate the supply of something. And anytime you create more supply of anything, all else equal, the price goes down. So that's what's happening. That's why the backed announcement, which was also greeted with a lot of praise by people thinking a whole bunch of uh, you know, new users will come into the industry. No question that will happen. But which is the bigger effect, the, the increased demand from new users or the price suppression mechanisms of Wall Street settlement systems? I think it's the latter. None of us knows for sure and can ever prove exactly what moved the prices down last, last year. But I think it's not coincidental that those big announcements happened at, at peaks in Bitcoin's price. We thought it was because we launched bad crypto. We thought, ah, <laughs> no, you guys, that's funny. No, 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 you guys are helping, helping education. Yeah. So, what about the coin lending aspect that Joel had mentioned? Is that something that um, is you know because we've seen there's companies out there like Salt and and they're like loaning money on your cryptos yeah. and like you know that to me it's it in theory it seems good but then like yeah. I am loaning my Bitcoin out at twenty grand and now it's at three grand. You know, it's like that volatility of that. Is that how does that impact that? Is it, and is that a good thing for the space in general? Well, the volatility is ultimately the risk of the owner of Bitcoin. Anyway, what I'm more concerned about is classic rehypothecation, three card Monty type tricks that that are inherent in the lending market that are starting to show up in Bitcoin. And um, this is before Wall Street comes in and starts doing them in huge volume. Um, it, we've seen this, as you point out, that just an explosion in volume of coin lending that, that really took off 
about a, a little over a year ago. And, uh, you know, again, I think that also coincides with the price suppression of, of, of Bitcoin last year, because you started to actually see not just lending. Lending's fine. Lending has no impact on the price. If I post one Bitcoin for collateral for a loan and I get, you know, whatever the loan to value ratio is they're willing to lend, call, call it, you know, um, $2,500 for posting my Bitcoin, I get $2,500 in cash. Okay, that's, that doesn't suppress the price at all because that Bitcoin, it's a one-for-one one relationship. I have one Bitcoin to back. It's actually you know, better than one-for-one one because the, the margin that, that they've been, that, that the lenders have, it's in that example, I don't know, call it 80% to one loan-to-value ratio, right? But at least you're not creating more claims to Bitcoin than there are Bitcoin that exist. The way Wall Street works, for treasury bonds, for example, there are three owners, the IMF estimates, who think they own treasury bonds when there's only one treasury bond out there that's, that's real. So you end up with basically one third coverage as opposed to, you know, 150% coverage. So the coin lending market, if it's just sticking to, you know, over collateralized loans, and, and, and some of the lenders clearly are, then Godspeed, that's great. It, it allows commerce, it facilitates the, the efficient allocation of capital, allows capital to flow where it's actually going to be used most efficiently. That's awesome. Once you start, however, getting into the three-card Monty games, that's when the lending market actually can, can be bad because you're creating phantom claims to coins that don't exist. Mm-hmm. And they'll be created, they'll be accepted in the market as if they were the real thing because they're coming from big financial institutions. Gotcha. I have a question, one final question, I guess, about innovation, because Joel and I, we've had lots of conversations over the past year and a half around, oh, hey, you know, blockchain's great. We love blockchain. Oh, hey, now with all these regulations and the FCC and the SEC and not the FCC, but the SEC and all these other agencies, you know, trying to put regulations on. We've seen a lot of innovation leaving America. Right. Oh, yeah. We've seen a lot of projects just say, I'm screw you guys. I'm going to Malta right, or Singapore or, or Gibraltar or wherever. There's a lot of different hubs popping up all over the world, uh, Switzerland. Um, and so now since, you know, Wyoming is so crypto friendly, is this, you know, I guess it would seem like a good idea if you were doing a crypto project in America to launch in Wyoming and maybe what would, is that true? And then maybe what are some of the benefits of having your blockchain project being based in Wyoming? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Especially if you're going to do a security token or create, you know, a a fork of Bitcoin, that's a true virtual currency. Once you start to get into the utility token zip code, Wyoming has the best laws, but you're going to run into the federal uncertainty, which has pushed so many people offshore. So again, you know, we've got to fix that issue at the federal level because so many successful projects in this market, so many scams too, but so many successful projects in this market have had to exclude Americans because of the SEC. And uh, I think that's wrong. I think it's too bad. Wyoming's doing everything we can to try to fix that issue for folks and and keep innovators in the United States. Mm It's like, oh, you can't invest because you're an American and the rich get richer because you got to be a millionaire to be able to invest in crypto on these. Pro- That's right. Like, what? Are you serious? It's wrong. I thought we yeah. were the American dream. Come on, freedom. And nope, not in the financial space. That That's exactly true. And it's wrong. And, and, and uh, crypto proves a lot of things. It proves it can democratize finance. It proves that it can uh, allow companies to raise 
capital without diluting the, their equity owners by essentially pre-selling the, the rights to use their product. Mm-hmm. So these are not nefarious concepts. These are basic concepts that got twisted by the regulators into, no, you must actually kiss the ring. You must actually do the, you know, check all these very expensive boxes, which essentially means that startups have to spend, have to come up with hundreds of thousands of dollars of their own money to be able just to get the business off the ground to pay legal fees. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's terrible for the United States and it it does need to be fixed. 90% of startups fail by nature, right? And then when they're trying to, they're trying to leverage future revenues that in some case never arrive because the crypto market tanks and they were leveraged too high on their Ethereum when it was 1500 and now it's 150 and now they don't have money in their runway. And so it's like, there are some challenges with it, but overall the mechanism makes a whole lot of sense because if you look at the, I call it, I call it vulture capital in a lot of ways because they just consume 20, 40, 60% of your company. And now they own it because they gave you a little bit of money, but they're not the ones driving it with passion. They're not the ones that are innovating. But now all of a sudden, these great entrepreneurs have just a small percentage of their company. Whereas with crypto and with with ICOs and, and the STOs, that's not the case. And so, you know, I'd love to see that continue to evolve. And oh, right. I think so well spoken. Yeah. So great. It's great stuff. So thank you so much for, for coming on. We really appreciate it. You're welcome, guys. It's so fun, much fun to interact with you. I'm a big fan of the Bad Crypto Podcast, and it's really an honor to be on your show. Thanks so much. Well, the website to uh, to visit Caitlin is caitlin-long.com. Of course, in the show notes, you'll find links to some of the stories that were referenced here, as well as some that we didn't get to. And I just want to give you extra points, Caitlin, for using the word rehypothecation. You are the uh, the second person to uh to use it on the show i can't remember travis do you remember who the first one was i don't think i've ever even heard that word before so I must not oh yeah <laughs> that's because you need a vacation from rehypothecation yeah, yeah it's, true. It's, it's not a good thing all right caitlin thanks again we appreciate you thanks guys you too bye-bye Ms. Caitlin Long with her words and uh, wise ones. And it's really great to see that there are people that are taking charge of this and in helping government officials and legislators to understand just how important blockchain is. It is very important. I mean, here we are in France at the blockchain summit of Paris blockchain week. A lot of events going on, not just the summit. There's stuff going on every single day here this week, different events, and a lot of cool stuff going on here in Paris, a lot of cool stuff going on in different cities all around the world, and, um, you know, I guess consensus is coming up not not too long as well. That's Mm going to be a huge event that we're going to be at. That's going to be fun. Yeah, we're going to be doing Bad Crypto Live on the consensus podcast stage, so uh, what, like 8,000 people come to that event. It's going to be it's going to be huge. We're going to be there. We're going to be doing our show and going to be behind a wall. As of this broadcast, we've got room for one more sponsor. So if there's going to be a company that is going to be in New York or you want to be in New York for consensus and you want to join us on the podcast stage for a brief interview about your uh, your project, then reach out to us at badcryptopodcast at gmail.com with the subject header consensus sponsor. And uh, Travis or myself will reach out to you. We'll have a conversation and see if you are potentially a good fit. Yeah, we could actually have a conversation live 
on Zoom. You can talk to Mr. Joel Com in person. That will that would probably be the highlight of your week. I don't know what gets better than that. I mean, I'm literally looking at Mr. Joel Com, awestruck, like, oh my gosh, Mr. Joel Com is here. <laughs> You're such a goon. We appreciate you guys. Thanks so much for listening to the show, and we will catch you on the next episode. In the meantime, it's time for us to have some wine and some cheese while we are here in France. <laughs> what was it? Rem- Reste mauvais? Reste mauvais, my friends. Reste. Stay bad. Reste mauvais. Oui, oui. Who's bad? The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoin's and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor.